to Say That, the podcast where your big questions get real answers. My name is Matt King. I'm your host here in the city of Chicago, and joining us here is Glenn Fitzgerald. I'm I'm here. Also joining us, Jed Brewer. Also here. With us all the way from Rutgers, Tennessee, Lee Younger. I remain here as well. Well, not with them, but here with me. Wow. It's like a space-time That's... mystery. I'm we're you know it's always good to be with yourself. I remain here with me is my third favorite Leonard Cohen song. <laughs> <laughs> well, we have a great show. We have some wonderful questions, but first, I'm forced to declare a feelings hurting emergency. What? Uh-oh. Oh no! Uh, but hopefully, we can spin this into. I think we can spin this into something that's going to be positive for all of us. But it starts with a negative. And if you if you've t- been tuning into the bridge live, you may have noticed that over the course of it, um, my hair has been a topic of discussion. I believe friend, a contributor to the bridge live, and super fan Amanda put it once to my light. Put it once to my wife. I feel like his hair looks different every time, and you could just tell not different in a good way. So there's that. But you know, we've we've all had our in your various places you live. You've had the, the lockdown and. Whether, you know, uh, salons and barbers could be open or not has been a thing kind of going in and out of that. So things in Illinois have opened to the point where we, you can go get your haircut. So I went recently, and you've all had this experience. You sit down and get your haircut, and the, the stylist, the barber, whatever, asks a question normally in the vein of, how would you like this cut? Or what are we doing today? Or what, how do you normally wear your hair? This poor young woman looked at me and just said, you walk around with your hair styled like this? <laughs> wow. Which, oh, brother. And then you think, well, maybe, you know, a blunt young one said, oh, uh, yeah. And then she thought, and she asked with hope in her heart, oh, did you ride your bike here? Is that the explanation? <laughs> and I had to explain, no, I walked in a, in a very windless day. That's how I got here. But the thing about that is you would think, well, that's insulting. And uh, maybe, but... One, I, the part of my brain that can feel that is dead by now. But also, I just was so happy to be talking to a human, like right. in knots. Like, it was one of those things like, eh, maybe you just forgot how to do this. That's not your fault. <laughs> right. We've all those muscles of atrophy. <laughs> so my question, and what I'd like to put before the brain trust here is, when things reopen and we go back in the situation we were in before, can we use that very short period at the beginning where everyone kind of has forgotten how this is supposed to go and what the uh, the niceties are to get some things out in the open. Oh, that's good. Oh, yeah. Wow. As a moment for honesty. Well, yeah, I mean, I'm st- I'm trying to picture the dynamic to kind of get a hold of this concept where I mean, was it the kind of thing where she like pulled out a like a poster sized uh display and a pointer and it's just a big picture of a comb, and she's trying to show you how to use it. Sure, are you familiar with this, sir? Yeah, this, <laughs> let me describe to you what a comb is. You, you hold this part, you know that kind of, you know. Well, she shows you the Michael Jackson video where, like, the wind is blowing everything, uh, yeah. like the shirt is flapping out behind, and there's, you know debris like flying across the screen and she's like you are here <laughs> yeah well, i did have my one sequiny glove on but that's just how i get my hair cut yeah. the thing that would stick with me about it that buried in my brain was the phrase walk around <laughs> it wasn't do you go out of this is this how you do you walk around with your hair like this there was wow. she was trying to help was the overwhelming <laughs> thing and that's what i'm saying if you're in a situation where maybe this is the thing that's always bugged you about this one interaction but you know we can't we can't say that. Maybe this well, will be your opportunity in your window to say it. I don't know if this is what you mean, Matt, but the first thing that flew into my brain is that is there a like a like a kind of a grace period after the pandemic is over where no matter how formal the situation, we can wear sweatpants? Like yeah. like like my so I have a 12-year-old son and he refuses to wear any pants that are not basically sweatpants, like jogger type, yep. kind of tapered sweatpants. He gets it. This is this is the voice we need to lead us into the future. <laughs> so 
the the exception to this was we we had to go to an event in which formal attire was required. We realized that the child has been in lockdown so long in his teenage years in which he's growing that there are no formal clothes that can physically fit onto his body. I take him to a store and I I I I found kind of a a, a suits separates which men know what this means suit separates it's a it's a nightmare that we have to occasionally live with so i i hand him the pants and i'm like okay let's try these on he puts these pants on i kid you not this is his response why would anybody make pants like this yes <laughs> he's not wrong That's when we've had sweatpants yes we've That's worn right. those after yes. having worn those why would you make pants like these pants That's right. We've seen the light. We've we've had the breakthrough. Why are we going back in time? What are we here? doing with this? To to that point, Lee, let me let me I think you're you're putting your finger on exactly what we're talking about here because normally someone invites you to a thing, there's a dress code, you dress to it, you don't try to finagle that. But are we all just so happy to be at a place with that's out of our homes and there's people? You could try, you know how there's like, there's, you know, white tie, black tie, casual, business casual, evening. Could you just put on your, your, your kind of sweatsuit separates? And when they say, well, it's a little more reformed, <laughs> you say, oh no, that's what we call New Jersey formal. Yeah. <laughs> sweatsuit separates must now become a thing. That was a beautiful creation. That was a great use of the English language. Run DMC style. And now this is just... <laughs> Just New, Jer- New Jersey formal. That's what we call this. And people will be like, maybe, maybe not. I can't remember what it's like to be in a place where oh. I had to wear pants. So sure. That's gorgeous. I think that's exactly the kind of uh, opportunity we're trying to exploit here. So like a, a statement like, when did you last shower? Is that a statement yeah. that you're saying we can get no, away with? Absolutely. Could in the, in our times, that could be an actual conversation starter, or you could be trying to send a message. Maybe both. Well, people that know the relationship that I have with Matt is that I've always been supportive of his choices of, you know, (laughs) hair and beard configuration. Uh, But, you know, uh, and the fact that he sometimes looks like he works in a wind tunnel, that should not be a reason for putting him down. If anything, it shows perseverance. That's yeah. I mean, you know, to to deal with that particular affliction day after day, that should be applauded. I think we should all just be glad we're out of the headband era. I liked the headband. <laughs> there was a time in the summer where that was that went from joke to thing I actually <laughs> needed, and that was a dark time for us all. Yeah. No, that's you know, but uh, you know, I I think. Uh, uh, Understand, we've had a breakthrough with the sweatpant technology. This is, uh, this is the, you know, it's like in the future, like anytime they show like 70s sci fi movies, it's always the silver, glittery, uh, silver V-neck. jumpsuit. <laughs> you know, the, yeah, that's right. <laughs> the, the, the big triangle on the front for some <laughs> weird reason, and you know, big chunky boots and the stuff and whatever. Like, this isn't practical by any means. It's not particularly attractive. Uh, you know, so we've tried to envision the clothing of the future, but it was right there all along. It's the sweatpants. There you we, go, we, man. We, we've peaked. That's it. Drop anchor. It's it. If you want to say, you know, basically. PJ pants is the sweatpants of nighttime. I gave you that. Uh, you know, it's basically in the sweatpant family. Uh, but I don't see any reason why we couldn't do that in an office environment, you know, uh, a nice wedding. Well, I think you're pointing to something very important here that uh, Lee's son has given us is, and this is actually going to come with one of our questions. Um, you know, that when we've envisioned post-pandemic life, I think a lot of us picture, we'll just go back to the way things were which is perfectly reasonable, but are there things we could carry over? For example, now, if you're, if you're doing your, uh, your stuff on Zoom, maybe your, your class or your meeting, 
you know, you might have, you know, no one sees your legs. That's true in almost every business environment in general. There's no reason you couldn't, you know, be a lawyer or a salesman of some sort. And, you know, you have a sharp, uh, nice, whitely pressed Oxford and a sharp suit jacket, but we've all got dark sweatpants on. It's fine. No one's looking at your (laughs) legs while you're making this presentation. Adidas slides. Exactly right. You could also, you know, in the in the era of Zoom, as I understand it, a lot of uh, uh, young people who have to do like school particularly are learning kind of ways to fake technical problems so they can turn off their screen or or crash out. I, I'm wondering if you can be in a meeting or you could do this at a church or school thing and just have like a shade you could pull down in front of your physical being that is the equivalent of I am turning my screen off. This has lost me. Wow. Yeah. That's, that's fantastic. It's a useful piece dude. of feedback. Maybe maybe a pair of like uh like you could put on a sleep mask. That would be the equivalent. Yeah. Just something yeah. of this is a new level of communication we have with people and we can carry that over into the real life. I'm muting myself. I think I've got it. Please. Okay, now you get green screen sweatpants. Oh. And then you just dial in whatever uh, you know business attire over that, and it just makes it for you. Wow, this is like a deep fake CGI clothing. Yeah, yeah. This is a way for Glenn to just not have to worry about getting dressed ever. Dude, people need to understand <laughs> the moment it's reasonably close <laughs> to warm enough I get the sh- the shorts out, and my legs are uncovered until it's far too cold to tolerate it anymore. That my legs have got to breathe, man. That's I believe in that. In some way, that needs to be the episode title, Matt. I feel like that would a be confusing, and <laughs> b to reference our previous emergency. I feel anyone who's uh searching any of those combination of words we don't want them to find this show (laughs) i think for for the good of all of us but what i would like from people is if you have a suggestion for something from kind of the way we do things here in the corona times that would be very very useful going into you know the next phase of things i think that'd be great i think we could certainly normalize because, you know, for now, we're, we're all doing things on Zoom or calls, so the scheduling is a little different. I think if we could normalize going into an in-person meeting, that could be lunch with someone, that could be a church service, that could be a business meeting, and opening up with, how long is this going to take? Yep. Pastor, I've got, I've got a meeting, by which I mean a lunch in a Mexican restaurant, at 1230, so. Chop, chop. I'm rapping when I'm rapping. Yeah, I, I'm having trouble with this concept, because... That's basically how I live all the time. <laughs> well, yes. I mean, that's, that's just, there's basically no filter on it at any point. So maybe, maybe that's what I should learn about the pandemic is that I should have some. <laughs> well, maybe, maybe everyone needs to regress to some sort of mean. Uh-huh. For some of us, yeah. that will mean sliding down. For some of us, it may mean stepping it up a little bit in the filter department. I mean, I've been in actual church-related meetings, you know, denominational meetings with Jed and just got up and, and left because I just couldn't take it anymore. That's true. And they asked me, they asked me why, why am I leaving? And I said, I can't take it anymore. Bye. And just left. So, you know. Now imagine if there was some kind of black box in front of your seat at that meeting that you could have just put up. Yeah, and then just walked out, and people were like, "Oh, I guess is, I guess he timed out. He's he's buffering." There you go. That's <laughs> another good way to use a background. So when you need a break, just put up the little spin wheel and be like, "All right, guys, I'm I'm buffering for ten minutes." Just hold an actual pinwheel and just yeah, blow just, on it. Just spin it and just uh, I'm buffering. Put your head down and just hey, you can't talk to this dude right now. He's actually buffering. Yeah, yeah I'm clearly not doing that. I think I think all those are actionable ideas and. uh once again on this show, we give the people what they need, which is solid fashion advice. Oh, yeah. And on that, I'm going to declare emergency off. 
If you would like to check out more uh, just good, solid fashion advice, maybe you can uh, catch the the hair that I may have made that one poor woman re-choose another profession. You can uh, see it visually at, uh, on The Bridge Live every Tuesday at 7.30 p.m. Central Time, facebook.com slash The Bridge Chicago. If you can't catch it live, you can catch every episode archived over there at that same page. You can also check out Bridgebox Mission USA dot com slash bridge box if you want some good stuff from us in your inbox every single month you can check that out we move on to our first question here if you hang out this all the way to the end i'll use some ways to get in touch with this or you can scroll down into your episode description and click the links there our first question comes in and says what does it mean to walk by the spirit from galatians five sixteen? that sounds a little bit like opening your third eye to me what does it really mean to do that and a, a great question. We we always welcome and enjoy these questions where we're we're picking apart the uh, the, the language and maybe poking some holes in the way uh, religious folks have used that without explaining it. And uh, Jed, where would we start off with this? It's a great question. I appreciate it. I appreciate the inherent snark in it as a snarky person. Mm-hmm. And um, I think it's worth noting, just as a thought for for you to consider and chew on in in general, Christianity is a mystical religion. So, you know, if the, if the idea is this sounds a bit silly because it sounds a bit mystical, you, you you are subscribing to a a pretty mystical religion. So that's worth thinking about, but to look more directly at your question, uh, let's look more at day-to-day life for a second. It, It turns out that most jobs and professions kind of boil down to learning to see things in new ways. Um, someone who works as a chef looks at food way differently than you do. Um, somebody who works as a carpenter sees Home Depot very differently than I do. Uh, like I have no idea where anything is. They, they get all of it. Somebody who works as an engineer. They see things differently. Somebody who is a salesperson, they see relationships and opportunities and, and discussions very, very differently. But again, all kinds of jobs and professions and pursuits kind of boil down to learning a new way to see at least a portion of reality. That's just a a thing that comes up again and again and again in life. So let's turn to the life of the spirit now for a second. Um, If you turn to Galatians chapter five and you, you find the verse that you talked about Galatians five 16. If you go right before that, Paul is actually talking about loving your neighbor. He's talking about being humble. He's talking about choosing to serve other people in love talking about how how uh, love is a good and a beautiful thing. And so here's my question for you uh, in terms of what would it mean to walk by the Spirit is, what would it look like if your life was defined by learning how to love your neighbor? Hmm. What if you just decided that's going to be the big quest and the big push of my life is I'm going to learn how to love my neighbor? If you did that, the follow-up question is, what would you see? When you looked around the world, what would you see? When you looked around your neighborhood, what would you see? When you looked at your calendar, what would you see? When you looked at your bank account, what would you see? If you decided to devote yourself to learning how to love your neighbor, what would you see? I think that's at least part of what Paul has in mind when he's encouraging us to walk by the Spirit. And I want to encourage you that that's something worth dipping your toe into love. This is a crazy thing, but it, it it's true. And, and we need to be reminded of it regularly. Love is something we get better at uh, mm-hmm. elsewhere in Philippians. Paul encourages us to, and this is a quote from the message translation to love, not only much, but well. And so one of the takeaways from that is that you can have a lot of love, but not necessarily be super great at actually dispensing it, at actually communicating it, actually putting it out into the world. We've talked on the show before about the idea that generosity is very much a skill. It is a form of intelligence and of learning to see connections, learning to see opportunities and possibilities. I think that you could devote your whole life from now on to learning how to better love your neighbor and never run out of new things to see. 
never run out of new frontiers to examine and to look at and to consider. And I also think you'd never run out of new things to be excited about and new joy to experience and new love to, to share and overflow and give away. That's a beautiful thing, man. It is also, to take us back to your question, a bit of a mystical thing, but I think it's one that you should investigate. I think you should ask, what would I see if I devoted myself to learning how to love my neighbor? All great stuff. That's such a wonderful place to start this discussion off. And Glenn, where would we take it from there? Well, I I, I really love what Joe was talking about there. And I think I agree with him that uh, where he started that in terms of you can't really separate the mystical elements of Christianity out and, and still have something there. Uh, it, it It is a... a you're believing in an invisible God. That's how that goes. All of us on this podcast spent a lot of time talking to real people about real situations, uh, real world struggles, and trying to apply these mystical concepts to that. And so there's always that uh, trying to bridge um, the immediate tough circumstances that people are going through over to deeper transcendent spiritual concepts and and principles that allow them to navigate through that and and find health and strength on the other side uh but it's it's you know so we we end up kind of walking both sides of that you hear us speaking very practically on this podcast uh but i think it's important that we do, let's just put it this way we all know people who over use and over talk about and over emphasize mystical stuff in a way that as the bible would point out you know they that they're 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 puffed puffing themselves up with idle notions about yeah. you know uh, uh all sorts of spiritual whatevers uh so if the bible talks about that you know we know that that's a thing that we can and do experience but it's important for us to recognize we're not going to let people who overplay that and overemphasize that keep us from having a, a an actual spiritual mystical viewpoint on things. Uh, you know, we we the, in other words, the opposite of that idea is another bad idea, where we we just sort of ignore what's happening in the spirit realm. Uh, so, with that in mind, uh, specifically on this verse. Uh, you know the sort of the literal translation of the the word there for walk. You know, does it, that word does translate neatly and literally to walk? Uh, but if you look at the way that it is used in context, both in the Bible and other, you know, just Greek sources, it. I think you could use the word regulate. Uh, just as as effectively, and it would fit just as well, if not better, uh, that we would regulate our life and and be, um, you know, regulate how we make decisions and choices and how we see things and how we understand things by the Spirit. Uh, if that works better for you, great, and because it is on point, it is on target. But I want to challenge you to at least think about this idea that uh, that we, I think, just inherently have it in our minds, the most powerful tool for understanding the universe is my human brain. And whether that might just not hold true, that, uh, that I get my emotions tangled up, I get faulted temptation and all kinds of things, that I just don't get things right and I don't see things right with my own eyes. I... Everything is through a filter of my jacked up emotions and stuff from my past and whatever else that I can't really walk by that. I can't navigate. I can't regulate by that. I need a better compass to go by. And the the leadership and the wisdom of the Holy Spirit is a thousand times better and more effective than my own human brain. So Walking by the Spirit makes a whole lot of sense, and it can be done, and it is part of a practical living out of your faith. And I'd really challenge you to, to begin to think of it in those terms. Another wonderful, wonderful layer to add to this. 
And Lee, where do we take this out? You know, I, I would want to just kind of speak into my own experience and say that the thing that has, the thing on this kind of topic that's always made me feel um, insecure is just the way Christians talk about it. Uh, Christians talk really kind of fast and loose with the idea of like, I heard the Lord say this, or I heard the Lord say this, or I heard, or, I heard the Holy Spirit lead me in this way. And what that always made me feel like was um, there's a class of Christians who hear the Holy Spirit screaming at them like through a megaphone. It's super clear. It's a it's an audible human voice. They hear every single word crystal clear. And then there's people who don't because they're lesser Christians and because they probably have some unspoken sin in their life. And it's probably me. And I'm probably in the JV group of Christians. Um, the thing that I want to say to you in that moment, and, and I'm kind of speaking this uh, uh, in a way, um, time traveling and saying this to my past self. Um, you are not a lesser version of Christian um, because you don't hear this super loud megaphone voice of the Holy Spirit saying to you with perfect clarity, take a left on, uh, you know, on 17th Street, you know, and then talk to the person who's holding the green purse. Like, that's just not the way this thing goes. What Paul's describing is you have a nature inside yourself that wants something that's opposite of what God wants for you. And then you have, because you believed in Jesus, the Holy Spirit living inside you, and they have kind of a tug of war going. And walking with the Spirit is going to be this, as these guys are saying, this mystical but also subtle art that you grow into of learning how to say no to one nature and say yes to a new thing that lives inside you. Um, as you learn how to listen for not a megaphone that's clear and speaking to you in, you know, a deep resonant voice, uh, Matt, I think you should get your hair cut at this barber shop. You know, like not that kind of voice from the Holy Spirit, but just like, a, and, and I had to use math there, but like, because again, I don't hear a voice like that, but a still small voice and you have to get good at quieting your mind and heart and, um, and, and, and learning how to dampen the voices of the, the millions of distractions you have in your everyday life. This is a skill that you grow in. And by the way, um, to bring a little bit more grace into this. It's, it's something that the Lord is patient with. This is a relationship that you grow in throughout the entirety of your life. I always was intimidated by verses like this because I felt like what it meant was there are varsity Christians and JV Christians. The varsity Christians hear a loud, clear, just a clarion voice of the Holy Spirit guiding their every move, and it's crystal clear, and they don't ever have any questions or doubts about it. And the JV Christians don't hear anything. And the thing that I'm learning is um, there was a whole lot of lies that have been told about stuff like that. And the voice of the Holy Spirit is subtle and it takes reps and time and you have to learn how to go after that voice. But you have a tug of war happening in your spirit. And the thing that I would say is try just intentionally inviting the Lord in on some of your daily de decisions, conversations emotional responses. You get a text message, it makes you feel a thing. You feel embarrassed or you feel afraid or you feel um, insecure. Immediately invite the Lord into that moment and ask him, how do you want me to respond to this? When do you want me to respond to this? With what kind of a degree do you want me to respond to this? That's the kind of thing we're talking about. Those are the kinds of reps. To start inviting the Lord into moment-by-moment -moment decisions and start to discern what that still small voice is. We're not going to hear a megaphone, and that's not what the varsity Christians and the JV. All that stuff is all that stuff is false. This is a this is a subtle art that you grow into as you start to invite the Lord into more and more little moments of your day.
I did letter in Christianity, but it was only because I played special teams, so it kind of doesn't count. But you know, uh, that's uh, all great stuff from these guys on a, a really, really good question. We move on to our next question here. It comes in and says, "I got a new job. I have a lot of anxiety about proving myself around new people. Having to deal with every single person individually is overwhelming for me, and I feel like I'm never able to just be myself. Any advice would be appreciated." So another great question, very similar to one we talked about on a recent uh, Bridge Live. So, Glenn, where would we start off with this? Well, I think the place to start is to recognize the real you is better than the mask that you put on. Mm, amen. Uh, the real you is what we want. The real you is what we care about. Now, uh, yes, there are hang-ups that you may have. There are uh, perhaps... Um, uh, struggles that you have socially that need to be polished, that need to be uh, improved on. Uh, It always helps to read the room and figure out how to come in on the right note, as we would put it in, in a ministry context, you know, that, that, uh, you know, if the the room is a very, you know, professional type of environment, you need to adjust to that and be yourself within the context of that and, and be able to, uh, you know, you're, you're playing in the same key, so to speak, uh, but you're playing your own notes. So uh, with that, with that uh, in mind, I think it's really important to recognize the real you is better than whatever front that you put on. Uh, to try and win people over and get them to think highly of you and all those kinds of things. Um, I think here's the the re- part of the reason why I say that, and part of the, the idea behind this is that people can tell who is the real you way more than you think they can. Uh, I I am convinced that people... I, I'm convinced that people read... Uh, that we all read each other incredibly well, but we tend to either discount that or deny it sometimes, or we tell ourselves we can't read people that well, or we just, you know, say, I'm, well, I'm reserving my judgment that, you know, it was a bad first impression, but who knows and that kind of thing. Uh, but I think, I think we uh, sort of subconsciously take that in, even if we don't consciously uh, give ourselves permission to say that that we've got a clear reading on that. Uh, so I think when you put a front on, people sense that there's something fake about that. Roughly 100 percent of the time, and they don't. They just don't like that. They they don't feel like they can trust it, and it puts you in a terrible position because if people don't like the mask, then you think, well, if you don't like the fancied up version of me, you'll hate the real me. Right, but it, but if they do like the mask, then you think you don't like me. You just like the mask. You, I am still not socially acceptable. I'm I'm still not good enough, and I'm I have to I have to pretend to be this person for people to like. So you never feel acceptance ever, and acceptance is super important. Uh, that's you, if you if you don't feel accepted anywhere, you you need to find people who get what you bring to the table and give you that acceptance and that that respect and that approval. Uh, so if people can tell what you're on more than you think they do, more than you would even guess that they would, I'll, I'll end it with this. I give a lot of pastors advice on preaching. Uh, that's a lot, a lot of what I talk about, not because of what they need, but it's because what they want to know about. The first thing I tell 100% of them is this sermon would be better if you were just doing the real you. And I think that's uh, the main thing I would leave you with is the real version of you is better than any fake version you'd give us. It's a wonderful place to start that off. And Lee, where do we take things from there? Um, I I loved everything Glenn had to say about this. And I'm going to... um, what I'd like to do is just kind of tell you something I've learned personally about this. And out of my personal experience, um, I would naturally feel this kind of feeling of like, I want everybody to be happy with what I'm doing. And I, I want everybody to look at the work that I'm doing and say, that was awesome and everything. I One thing that's really helped me is times in my life or my work 
And I'm sure these other brothers have been through this. Actually, I know these guys have because we've had so many conversations together over the years. But knowing that you have been in a situation where you did something as well as you could do. I've been in this situation. I know that I did this thing as well as I could possibly do. Not only that, I could stand back from it and look at it and say, that was really good work. That, that, was, well, that was not only the best I could do, that was really good. And then some funky people still had a funky attitude about it. Somebody still had something weird to say about that thing, like, oh, this thing was this or this thing. And I realized in that moment, not only was that the best I can do, but that was really, really good. And people are still going to be sideways about it. In other words, I can't avoid this. And by the way, that person that has a funky attitude about this, and I also know that these brothers know what I'm talking about, they don't actually understand the work I do. Yeah. And so they, their attitude about it I'm learning in this moment actually doesn't mean anything (laughs) like they don't actually, I can't avoid this where somebody has a problem. And also some people that have a problem with what I do, they don't actually understand my heart. They don't understand my job. They don't understand my role. And that's why they think I suck, even though I know that I don't. And that was actually a really clarifying moment for me. It helped me kind of uh, disengage from this thing where I need all the thumbs up from everybody. I was in a, um, th- there's places in Tennessee where right now at the, the stage we're at, where you can actually go to, you can go into a restaurant and you can sit down with people and, you know, and you can meet people one-on-one. And I was in a coffee shop with a buddy of mine and there was a couple there and I guess they didn't rec- recognize me because of the mask or whatever. But when they left the building, I turned to my buddy and I said, hey, just so you know, that couple that just walked out of this place, they hate me like you would hate poison. Like if, if, something, if somebody said, this is poison, you should drink it. And you would say, no, I'm not going to drink poison. That's how they hate me like that. And I proceeded to tell this dude this story. And it was this moment where it, it was like, oh, no. I handled that situation exactly as the law requires me to, exactly as my profession, anybody in my profession would would also handle that thing, and they still hate me. Therefore, I've got to handle the fact that that is going to happen. It does happen, and once I realize that, it actually helps me to have a, a better perspective about it of like, yeah, I don't have to get the thumbs up from everybody. The last thing I'll drop in on this. I listened recently to an uh, an interview uh, that somebody did of an author called Anne Lamott. Uh, whether or not you're familiar with Anne Lamott is neither here nor there. She said a couple of things that I thought were really, really cool. One thing she said is that whenever you meet somebody for the first time, you aren't meeting them, you're meeting their bodyguard. Mm. You're meeting the person that they pay to make sure that they are protected that they don't get hurt. Um, you, In other words, I'm typically meeting somebody's front, the person that they are projecting into the world so that the real them doesn't get hurt. I say that to hearken back to what Glenn was telling you. We want the real you. The real you is the person that has something to give to the world that can change the world, that can help the world, that can aid people who are hurting, that can bring some healing to a, to a hurting and broken world. Um, when you present your real self and you realize some people are going to have a funky attitude about that, but I'm going to be me. That is a beautiful thing in the world. The other thing that I would say to you that, that I learned from Anne Lamott in that interview is most of us, most of the time are comparing our insides to everybody else's outside. We see all the funkiness on the inside of us. We see all the, the weird indecision, the, the funky attitudes and all that kind of stuff. We are presented with everybody else's mediated version of themselves. When I realize that and I believe the truth of that, then that sets me free to say, you know what? I, I'm going to be me because um, nobody else is comfortable just being them pretty much. 
Everybody is presenting a bodyguard. Everybody's presenting a mediated version of themselves. So I don't need all of their approval. They don't even approve of themselves. That's why they're mediating their, their, themselves to me right now. That's why I'm meeting their bodyguard. Um, when you realize so many people are putting up a front, not everybody understands what you bring to the table. Not 100% of people are not going to approve of what you do. When you can understand and realize and believe those things, I think it actually sets you free to go ahead and be yourself. And as Glenn is saying, the real you is the one who actually can have an impact on the world. That's all beautifully put. And a, a lot of great stuff from, from Glenn and Lee about authenticity, about uh, areas in which you want to be your full authentic self. And Jed, I'd love to get you to close this out by looking specifically at the work environments, because sure. that is one in which very much depending on your job, the level of it, where you are, um, bringing your full authentic self to work specifically may not be a possibility and it may not even be a good idea in the overall, we need places like church. We need friendships. We need relationships where we can do exactly what Glenn and Lee are describing here, but let's look at the work part because I think we need to be comfortable, especially if you're new with a certain amount of inauthenticity in that particular case, right? Well, every environment has a, uh, in a sense, they have an emotional dress code, right? Just like every environment that you go to has a literal dress code, there's a, a way that they expect you to, to clothe yourself. Every environment actually kind of has like a social and emotional dress code too. There, there's a way that they're looking for you to uh, conduct yourself. If, if, if you go to an office, um, particularly if you're a new employee, and the receptionist says, hi, how are you today? They are not looking for any real information on how you are doing today. Mm-hmm. Um, that, that is not the point of that inquiry. Uh, the, the social contract here, the emotional dress code is that you say, I am well. I have a meeting with Mr. Jenkins. That's, you know, that's what we're looking to do. I'm excited to be contributing to the profitability of this company. <laughs> exactly right. Exactly right. So. What we are trying to learn how to do, which is a hard thing, but you can do it, is how to be our authentic selves to the extent that it makes sense in the different situations and environments in which we find ourselves and how to modulate that because your authentic self has a lot of different aspects to it. And you're actually not expressing all of those aspects everywhere you go all the time. No one does. That's that's how life works. So. What um, Hallie would say, and she knows a lot more about this than I do, what she would say is that you are learning to express your authentic professional self, and mm. that is a good thing. There is a version of you that is that is the real you and that is authentic, but that is also expressed in the context of a professional office environment, and you can learn how to do that. You You really can, but let's back up for a second. Congratulations. You got a new job. That's great news. That's exciting. We are, we are happy for you. That's good stuff. Basically, anything other than a tiny, tiny company, you're going to be meeting a lot of new people. You are not going to be able to make like a really life-changing impression with everyone that you meet. There, there's no such thing as that. Um, you're also not going to be able to be 100% authentic everywhere you go all the time because literally no one can do that. There's, there's no such thing as that. What I think you'll find with the vast majority of people that you meet in this new job, especially the first several times that you meet them, actually, is do they walk away thinking, oh, he seems nice. That's that's about the level of depth that we're going to be dealing with for the first half dozen times that you interact with people. And that's fine. And you should comport yourself in a way where people walk away from meeting you thinking, oh, they seem nice. That's a perfect goal. That's a really, really good place to begin. And it's actually totally okay to start with the low hanging fruit. We, um, if you have this job for a while, you may end up building really in-depth relationships with a couple of your colleagues and that can be a great thing, but that's not the first goal. The first goal is just to generally get to know people and for people to think, oh, they seem nice. And that's great. What you'll find over time is that some of your coworkers are, are easier to get to know than others. That's okay. It's okay to focus on building a little bit deeper of a relationship with the ones that are a little bit easier to know. And the more that you get to know a few people, you can reveal a bit more of your authentic self, which is great. But the whole time we're keeping in mind, again, there's a dress code for the clothes you wear, for the way that you conduct yourself, for the emotional state that you project. 
And we do want to be mindful of that, mindful of the social contract in the place that we uh, are, are working and abide by that. So again, as, as Holly would say, it's about an authentic version of you expressed in a professional environment. It is your authentic professional self. And over time, we can learn to develop that. We can learn to grow that. And you can absolutely do that. But I want to give you one more thing that I think is, it has been very important in my life. And I want you just to consider, which is, you said that you, you have a lot of anxiety about proving yourself around new people, that, that this feels like an uncomfortable thing to you. I think, and I'm, I'm setting aside the idea of um, a medical condition of anxiety. Um, if that's what you're dealing with, we would love to, to help you get connected with, with folks that can, that can give you some assistance on that. But if we're talking about just garden variety, it's a new job and I feel nervous about it. And I don't super love meeting 100 new people at once, which no one loves. If that's what we're talking about, I think one of the things, particularly in America, that we focus on is I need to make this uncomfortable feeling go away as quickly as possible. I need this discomfort to not be in my head immediately. So I need a strategy or a thing or something or a substance that immediately makes this discomfort go away. And that's that's a feeling that certainly makes sense. And, and particularly if you're an American, you come by that extremely honestly. But here's the thing that I, I want to encourage you just to think about is embracing the idea that this feeling will pass. This feeling of discomfort will not last forever. There are steps you can take that will lead to good outcomes and you should take them, but those steps won't necessarily make this feeling of discomfort go away either, but it will go away. You don't have to be afraid of feeling a sense of discomfort. No one wants that, and I don't think most people would seek it out, but we can almost create a sense of panic for ourselves when we decide, I can't handle this feeling that I have, and I need this feeling to go away. You can handle a little bit of discomfort. Again, mm. we, we want to draw a clear line. Uh, uh, if you're talking about anxiety that is uh, causing difficulties in your life and is a medical problem, we're not talking about that. But if we're talking about, I am nervous and I feel uncomfortable in new situations, you don't have to be afraid of that feeling. That feeling will pass. You can actually make space for that feeling and, and learn to have some peace with it. And that's going to make all of the things that will lead to getting to the other side of newness actually a lot easier to do than if we feel like the number one thing is to get rid of this feeling of discomfort as quickly as possible. The discomfort, I promise you, will pass. That is all excellent stuff. From these guys, I would I would add on to kind of what what Jed's giving us there that you need to be a little bit comfortable with being uncomfortable. That's true. But you also need to be a little bit uncomfortable with that inauthenticity. Uh, if you're in a new environment, maybe this is a new job. You never had this kind of job before. You never had this role before. The place you start out is by doing what you think someone who does this would do. Yep. That's OK. That's yeah. you're going to find your way to do it. You're going to move past that, hopefully. But uh, there's an idea that you should just know how to do things if you're in a new situation. And that's not that's not a fair expectation to put on yourself. And it also really, really helps dial up that nervousness we're talking about mm -hmm. there. If you understand that you're going to come into a new situation, you're going to be flying by the seat of your pants a little bit. You're going to be doing your best in all aspects of that. It really can help with the idea of these other things you're nervous about and help you relax into the good, good advice all three of these guys gave you. Let's move on to our final question here. It came in and says, I really don't like change. As I start to look to the world post COVID, I want everything to be exactly like it was before, but I don't think, I don't think things will go back to exactly how they were before. That makes me more stressed and fearful about what should be a positive thing. How do I get better with thinking about change? And a, a really cool question. And Lee, where would we start off with this? I would start out by saying change is awful and patience sucks. And yeah. all, all of waiting is horrible as well. Yeah. Um, so let's, let, me just, let me just jump in, in the cart that you're riding down the tracks on and say I'm with you. So I also am a person who hates change. I, you know, I, I love this question. I love that you're talking about it. And I, I think you're exactly right. We're going to, 
we're going to come out of this thing at a certain point and, um, and we're going to realize, you know, we're not just 100% back to the way things were and we're going to miss some stuff. And that, that feels uncomfortable and it, and it, and it causes all kinds of, you know, anxiety and, and kind of mental stress and stuff like that. I think, you know, I think about Paul's words where he says, forgetting what lies behind and, and straining toward what is ahead. And there's certain times when I read Paul's words and I want to be like, uh, like what percentage? Cause he'll just say things, you know, like Paul will just say things like, uh, be anxious for nothing, but in all, th- and you're like, yeah, but like what percent bro? Like, <laughs> like how many days a week do you feel the way that you just said that thing in that verse that you wrote in that letter? Because if, if, if some of those words, and, and I'm not, I'm not, I'm not saying I don't believe in scripture or anything like that. I'm just saying that if that was a light switch that you could just flip, like, okay, well, I just, I forget what lies behind. I never think about what, what it used to be. And so that perfectly enables me to just look forward to what is ahead and, and accept change and everything. I'm not able to do it that way. So keeping in mind that I, I do believe in, you know, the, the validity of scripture and all that kind of stuff. Paul says, forgetting what lies behind. Here's something that's really, really massively helped me is realizing, and a lot of this comes from, <laughs> a lot of this comes from my wife or some of my friends, or even sometimes looking back at pictures or videos or something like that, that my, my idea of the past is really rose colored. Like <laughs> it's easy for me to think back on my life and just think like, oh man, it used to be so awesome. And I don't know if you think about it that way, but it's easy for me to think back to pre-COVID and be like, oh man, like pre-COVID, everything was so cool, man. It was just so, so easy. It was so amazing. And that rose-colored vision of the past um, is something that makes me um, hesitant or anxious about what the future is going to be. The truth is, that I had like a lot of stressors and pressures and problems before COVID ever struck our world. I had things that, that bothered me. I had things that, that pissed me off. I had things that, that made me, things that made me, uh, you know, uh, sad or feel doubt or, or, or made me feel aggression. Like I, I had, I had a full range of emotions, including a lot of negative stuff. And when I, when I own up to that, when I own up to the fact that sometimes my memory is a little rose colored and when I get a fuller picture of what my life was before this hard thing and I realize, oh, I had other, other hard things I was dealing with and working through and and processing and stuff like that. What it does is it gives me a little more, um, it gives me a little aid in thinking about forgetting what lies behind and straining toward what is ahead. I can't flip the switch on forgetting what lies behind, but I definitely, definitely can't do it when I think that everything in the old days was amazing. There's a place in Proverbs that says that it's not healthy to look back at and think about, oh, in the old days, everything was perfect. It wasn't. There was a lot that sucked. There was a lot that was difficult. There was a lot that we had to work through and process, and figure out. And when I can be honest about my past and how mixed a bag that was, then that allows me to be more open to the changes of the future and the things that I'm going to have to get used to and the things that I'm going to have to grow in as, I, as we come out of this time. If I can look at the past and say, it wasn't perfect, it was, there was some good and there was some bad, then, I, then I'm more eager to look at the future and say, I'm ready to to face some changes. A great, great place to start us off. And Jed, where would we take this idea of, I really like the way they phrase the question, thinking about how we deal with change next. It's a great question, man. I think the, the thing that I would want to point you towards is that change is happening all around you constantly. It is happening to you. It is happening in you. It is happening around you. Um, there is absolutely no escape from change. Um, you, you live in a world of 
impermanence. You, you live in a world that is constantly altering everywhere all the time. And I think the interesting thing about that is you will definitely experience the negative aspects of change, no matter what. Um, it kind of doesn't matter if you're afraid of them or not. You're still going to experience them. There's, there's no getting away from that. But the interesting thing, the really important thing is you actually can experience the positive parts of change if you choose to. Mm. Change has a downside and has an upside. Um, uh, there's very little in life that doesn't have at least a bit of both. And again, the interesting thing is there's almost never a complete escaping from the downside. Um, uh, the life's going to get its pound of flesh. You're, you're going to get you know kicked in the tail, unfortunately. But the positive parts are kind of almost always optional. Um, and it's kind of, it's, it's up to you whether you want to pursue them. This isn't exactly a case of turn that frown upside down. That's, that's not quite it. But I think what is important is recognizing that today, in the moment in which you find yourself, there are things that you can do today. There's, there's opportunities and options and whatnot that are available to you today that were not available to you yesterday, that were not available to you a year ago or five years ago, and that there's stuff that's available to you today that will not be available to you tomorrow or a year from now or five years from now. Now, it may be that five years from now, there are different things available to you that you would prefer to have today. Uh, That's often the case for me, but you're not five years from now, you're right now. And I think that a lot of dealing with change in a healthy and positive way is recognizing There are cool opportunities, there are good opportunities that are available today that are time-limited because things are changing all the time, and that God has blessings for you today. He will have fresh mercies and fresh blessings for you tomorrow, but he, He actually has blessings and mercies for you today, and that, and this really goes back actually to our first question in today's episode the more that you train yourself to see those, the more that you train yourself to, to look for those blessings and those mercies and those opportunities that are available today, the more you're going to see them and the more that you're going to uh, be able to take a hold of them. I, I think for a lot of people, I don't know if this is true for you or not, but I think for a lot of people, one of the things that makes change so painful is a sense of um, life mostly sucks. And I am doing all that I can just to, to keep the, the, uh, bare little bit of, of happiness I've managed to, to eke out for myself. And here comes change trying to rip that out of my hands. Um, so that we've kind of cast ourselves in this place where, um, change is happening to us and we're almost powerless against us against it. And it's basically just an exercise in, in how awful life can be and and often is. Here's the thing. I think you can happen to change. I think that you can get into a more active place in your life, which is about looking for and seeking and finding and acting upon and taking a hold of those opportunities and those blessings and those mercies. Um, it's very hard to feel positive about something where you are passive in it. Um, which is, I think, how most people experience change. Uh, it is much easier to have a good and positive and hopeful attitude about something where you are taking an active role. Um, I believe that God wants that for you. I believe that there's a lot more joy and a lot more peace to be had if you recognize that there are opportunities available today, there are good things available today, and that you can, with God's help, take a hold of them. That's another great layer to add on to this. And Glenn, where do we close this out? It's kind of hard to get a good perspective on what we're going through because we're still going through it. Uh, But I think what we can say objectively is that uh, when we're done with the coronavirus, it it will be an oddly true thing that every single person on the planet had the same challenge. It was a huge challenge. Uh, The reality is, uh, when we go through big, tough things, there's sort of two different ways of looking at that. One is to say you are a a wounded baby bird, and you are are just sad, and so be sad. You know, just just wallow in the sadness of your poor, pathetic person. 
The other extreme is um, what doesn't kill you makes you stronger, which is sort of a way of ignoring your feelings through it and say, well, don't have any feelings because it's making you stronger. So you should just be happy with that. You know, you should, the trauma of this shouldn't apply to this situation, which is just absurd, really. Overcoming challenges changes us. It makes us different. It, uh, it, it changes our nature and our character. Uh, it does make us stronger, which is great. Uh, but it also creates a situation where we are in need of healing. If I am, if I go to the gym and I work out and I do a really intense workout, I will need to cool down after that. And I will need to, you know, sit in the whirlpool or something like that, or uh, sit in the sauna and let my muscles relax themselves. And I will need to go home and rest that those two things go together. I am stronger because of this workout and I need to rest. I will need to find a way to get that rest. I will need to find a way to recover and recuperate even though underneath it, I am stronger as a result. So I think we had to hold both of those things at the same time without going to either extreme. The thing I would leave you with on this is when you go through an extreme circumstance of any kind, uh, particularly one that's an extreme challenge like this, your values change. Uh, you change the way that you see yourself, that you change the way you see the world, but most importantly, you change what it is you value. Uh, some of that is based on things that you missed out on that you never knew that you cared that much about it, how uh, essential those things were. Uh, some of that is things you thought you could never live without, and then you lived without it. And you say, well, it's, maybe that was more optional than what I thought. But your values and my challenge, my values will, will change for all of us. And I think that the, what I would have you look at is what values do you want to get out of this experience? I, I think th- Rather than pushing yourself to say, I should be changed in some amazing way, but I don't want the world to be changed, and I want to learn to speak Italian and fix up the house, and all that nonsense. Set all that aside and say, this is going to change me, but how do I want it to change me? Hmm. Uh, because you you can make that decision. It's, it's up to you. It's your dang life, man. You If you decide, I want this to make me a better person in certain ways, if I want it to uh, give me um, a different vision for how things can be, then uh, we can make that choice and let the, that change be something that we are in control of. And, and we want that for you, and that's what we're praying for. Absolutely right. That's fantastic stuff from all of these guys. If you have a question for us, say that podcast at gmail.com, thebridgechicago.tumblr.com slash ask. You want to keep that totally anonymous. If you can join us every Tuesday at 7.30 p.m. Central Time at Facebook.com slash The Bridge Chicago yeah. for The Bridge Live. You can also check out Bridgebox at MissionUSA.com slash Bridgebox. Take out the song this week. This is featuring our friend from Scotland, Lynn's Honeyman, a great rocking tune called Fatherless. Take out that. Thanks for listening. Just remember, we love you. God loves you. There's nothing you can do about it. The Say That Podcast fully embracing our amazing sweatpants future. <laughs> He's the father to the fatherless. Looks out for those in distress. When I was desolate, gave me a home. And you never, you never leave me alone. Fuck.